Welcome back to Not Like a Regular Mom podcast. I am totally fangirling out over our guest on today's episode. If you are a parent and you are on Instagram, you know the famous account, Kids Eat in Color, the bright, beautiful grid of pictures of all these colorful foods that you want your kids to eat and love, and these genius, realistic tips to actually get them to do so. And I will be totally honest that before I had kids, I kind of scoffed at kids' menus and I was sure that these parents must have been choosing to give their kids chicken nuggets and french fries, creating these picky little monsters. But then I had my first son and by a year old, he was, you know, feeding into that fantasy life that I had. He was eating bolognese by the bowl and like picking kohlrabi out of my salad. It was ridiculous. And I was my family and I were just like, oh my gosh, we have done our jobs. Like we have the best eater. This little baby is eating so well. But moms, this is how they fool you into thinking that you have the best little eater um, because that can change for a lot of parents. And when he was about two and a half, he started to have these really strong opinions about what he was going to eat. And he was so picky and, and I didn't want to have the battle. So what did I do? I gave in, just like most of us do, and I figured it was better to do that, just feed him whatever he wanted every night, make a separate meal for him because that way he was eating and you know he wasn't going to bed hungry as we as we tell ourselves. Um, but Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color is an expert in picky eating. She's a registered dietitian and a mom of two boys, and she just really gets what it's like to have a picky eater. And as a dietitian and with all of the training she's had and the the things that she's done to learn how to feed children, she knows exactly what to do, how to get them to eat in the long term, not just in the moment with bribes. Um, Her approach to feeding kids honestly might blow your mind and it could change your whole life like it did for me. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I want to welcome registered dietitian, picky eating expert, and woman behind the popular Kids Eat in Color Instagram page, Jennifer Anderson, to the podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Can you tell us who you are, what you do, what makes you, you know, not like a regular mom, aka why you're on the podcast today? Sure. Well, I have to admit, I always think of myself as a regular mom, (laughs) but I also think all moms everywhere have a little superpower somewhere. So I am a registered dietitian. I have a master's of science in public health. And despite that, when I had my first child, he began to not gain weight and kind of fall off the growth chart when he was a baby. And I was standing in the pediatrician's office and the pediatrician said, "Uh, you need to start pediasure. And I was shocked. I thought, I'm a dietitian. How can this be happening? What, you know, is there anything else we could try first? Because it seems like we've jumped from, like, everything is normal to suddenly you need a medical supplement. And that really started me on my journey toward becoming an expert in child feeding, child nutrition, and really an expert in understanding the angst that goes into feeding children. Mm. And I think that is really my superpower. Not that I have all this special knowledge, which is really useful, but that I am able to meet parents where they are because I am also that parent. And I started Kids in Color because I didn't want to feel alone anymore. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I can't be the only parent 
having a really hard time here. I can't be the only one. And I started this Instagram page. And next thing you know, it is growing very quickly. I had to quit my day job because I didn't want to leave my people. <laughs> and now Kids in Color is a public health company that is reaching millions of parents. I love that. I think that you took something that was like a huge challenge for you personally. And you made it into such a positive thing that helps so many parents, including myself. Um, so how did you become like a picky eating expert? Did you have to go back to school for this? Was, was this sort of like your own research trial and error with your kids? Yeah. So there, obviously there's a lot of like practical experience, mm -hmm. but also, no, I did not, I did not go back to school. Um, I had already spent enough six time years, <laughs> six years after my bachelor's degree I was not ever going to go back to school but right. that didn't mean I didn't read all the textbooks mm -hmm. so I did I have an entire shelf I basically took two courses worth of oh my god readings on my own and specialized in that area and then obviously went into practice with my with my people I always think of things on kind of a broader scale because Although we think we have very, very unique situations, when you're exposed to hundreds of thousands of parents and thousands of DMs, you realize that we all have a lot of common issues. And so I could begin to address those on a broader level. And rather than reaching one parent at a time in an hour long conference, mm -hmm. I can actually reach, you know, hundreds of thousands of parents in an Instagram really meeting them where they are because I know exactly where they're at. I That's exactly it. As a, as a parent who follows you, your posts are just simple and to the point. And honestly, you talk about things that most people's pediatricians don't really cover. You know, I think that your approach is just so much more realistic. And like you said, like there's hundreds of thousands of us going through this and we're not really able to get the help that we need unless we're talking to, I guess, a dietitian for our kids, mm -hmm. which isn't yeah. always the first route, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, who can afford to go to a dietitian? Right. Who has the time, the money? <laughs> yeah. Right. The time, the money, the connections. Mm -hmm. A lot of pediatricians don't necessarily refer out. Yeah. Uh, but pediatricians, I mean, their specialty is medical things, right? right. If you've got a medical thing, you got to talk to your pediatrician or whoever your provider is. But they're not trained in nutrition. And yeah. so part of our mission on the back end, you know, you don't necessarily see this on Instagram necessarily. But part of our mission is really to give pediatricians the tools they need to be able to refer their patients to someone who can actually help them like us. That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, I think that there are two sides of it as a parent too. There's some shame. Actually, for me, I think there was a lot of shame wrapped up into my son being a really picky eater because he wasn't always like that. And so my family was like, oh my God, he's such a good eater. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And it was like, well, what's going on? What are you doing? Why are you feeding him this? Why aren't you feeding him that? And then there's the whole part of it that's like, I guess this is normal, question mark, question mark, you know, where you're not really sure if this is a phase, if this is how all kids are at some point. So your page always gave that clarity of like, ah, it doesn't actually have to be this way. Here are some realistic tips and tools. So I always appreciated that. We always want to meet parents where they're at. Like, you know, it, it so much depends on your capacity 
in your season of life right mm-hmm. now. Did you just have a baby? Are you I did. totally burnt out? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, oh, okay, that was just an example. <laughs> but, yes. but a great example, right? If you just had a baby and you're totally burnt out or you have, uh, you know, depression or yeah. you're, you just lost your job or something, you may not have the capacity to follow every best practice out there. Yeah, fact, absolutely. Most parents have some challenge that makes it really impossible for them to do, quote, everything right way. So instead, I really want to meet you where you are. Like you just had a baby. What's your biggest issue right now? Probably no cook meals. Yeah. Right? Yep. Something really quick, something easy, something where someone's done, done the brain work for you. Um, and also the permission to just do what you got to do yeah. to get through this time. You know, you want to eat cheese sticks every day, three <laughs> times a day, yes. go for it. You're going to be okay. Cause the, the season will end. And then you can start serving more variety, you know? Absolutely. And that's the other thing is, you know, you're teaching parents how to do things the quote unquote right way, the best way, but you're realistic. And I never felt bad. I never felt like, ah, here I am tonight. Tonight, there's just no time. I have to throw chicken nuggets at him, you know, like tomorrow's a new day. And it's just, it's so realistic. So I'm just, I think that your method has just helped us tremendously. And like you said, I'm not really somebody who has the time or mental capacity, especially now. And it's actually made my life easier. So we can get into it and talk about like the how and the why. But first, let's talk about picky eating. So are kids born picky or is it always something that's learned? Great, great question. And this is a big debate, right? Because you have so many messages out there and you may have heard this, that picky eating is a character defect Mm -hmm. or it's something that you can prevent. You can prevent picky eating. You'll see so many accounts on Instagram that claim to prevent picky eating all the way across. And that's not a, that's not an evidence-based theory or statement. Um, It is both something that can be enabled and even sometimes caused by the environment. So, perhaps the family environment or the parenting or whatever. And it's also something that the parents may have absolutely no control over. Um, It may be something internal to the kid. There are genetic factors that make picky eating more likely. And I know you've been through our Better Bites program, Mm -hmm. and this is something we cover in the beginning because I think if we have the wrong conception of picky eating, if we think our kid is picky because we did something wrong, you really make it difficult for yourself to move forward. Yeah. And also, if you think, my kid is picky because they are just being picky, they're being stubborn, they have this character defect, again, you're not going to be able to make progress on this. So we instead, we have to step back. We can say, okay, let's learn about picky eating. Okay, there's, there's what I call, I call basic picky eating, which is, yeah, something that's been enabled by the environment. You know, the practices in the home are really encouraging picky eating. There's that, but then there's also the huge anxiety piece. And that maybe stemmed from just the child's nature or a medical incident or allergies or something. Then you have sensory components. Some people have really extreme experiences of taste or smell or things like that. There, and then there's also, uh, oh, a lack of appetite. That's the other one. Right, you right. Know, where kids literally don't have an appetite. And maybe that's related to a vitamin deficiency or maybe it's related to something else going on with that child. But that's really one of the other causes. 
Yeah. And I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned is that there is that anxiety. There is that fear component and your kid isn't just like trying to play you (laughs) because it feels like manipulation sometimes, but I think kids really do have a fear of eating certain things and they don't really have the language, I guess, or the ability to, to explain it. And for us, we're just like, God, will you just eat what I made? Why are you being difficult? You know? Um, But, but you don't realize four months ago before they could talk, they got a pee stuck in their throat for a few seconds and it felt really scary to them. And now they don't want to eat green things because they associated the color green with that experience, right? It's so interesting that we have this knowledge now that tells us an experience like that can actually be a cause of picky eating, but we never put it together because we, they couldn't even talk. So we assume that they couldn't possibly put those things together, but instead they put together what they could, which is, I saw that color, I felt that feeling, Uh-oh. and now I'm afraid of that color. But they, they are not even close to verbal enough to be able to actually explain what's going on. Yeah, and that's really sad when you look at it for what it could be. And um, if you look at your own eating habits and your own you know, approach, I guess, that your parents took. That's kind of how what led me to how I was going to teach my son how to eat. And there was a lot of positive reinforcement. Like, we're going to clap for you if you eat this. And when you eat this, take one bite for mommy. Take one bite for daddy. And I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing because it's like, oh, we're encouraging him. That's not That didn't work for my son. And I would love for you to talk about why praise and bribery doesn't really work. Sure. So when somebody, oh, you think about it, like, what are you going to get praised for? Something that you don't want to do that's a real bummer or that is uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So if you say, I'm going to clap for you if you eat your broccoli, you're really sending the message that broccoli is not something to enjoy Mm. and that you have to have an incentive in order to be able to eat it. So while we think we are encouraging it. Instead, we are long-term discouraging it. And so the same works with dessert. So parents often think, well, it's so important that my child eat healthy food, quote, healthy food, (laughs) that I will bribe them with a little bit of dessert so that they eat their healthy food first and then they eat their dessert. And they learn you gotta eat your healthy food and then you get dessert. The problem is when you use that technique, what you're saying is, Dessert is the best, broccoli is the worst, and therefore, I should really value dessert, and I should really devalue vegetables, which is the opposite of what we want to teach. And even, but it feels right. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's how a lot of us were raised, and logically it makes sense, but when we dig into evidence-based practice on this, we really learn, you know, bribing kids with dessert really leads to a fixation with dessert. It doesn't mean you can never serve dessert after dinner, but when it's this bargaining chip, you really end up putting a lot of emphasis on the dessert and putting a lot less emphasis on the other food. Yeah, and it's like an immediate power struggle, at least in my house when we would do that. It was just, it never really worked out. Maybe in that moment, but it just, it became this ongoing power struggle. Mm-hmm. And then it's how many bites until right. I can get my dessert and I want my dessert. I want my dessert. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it, it becomes this very 
uncomfortable situation for the entire family because you want to be, you just want your kid to eat dessert or eat, you know, eat their dinner. That's yeah. really what parents want. And it's this dessert piece where we feel like, oh, they're going to need an incentive. But it's interesting if often, and this, this strategy works for so many families, if you just put a little dessert on the plate with the meal, it takes the drama out of it because it's there. They can eat it first. Right. And it's not so, it's not so big that they fill up on it. Although, you know, 1% of the cases, they couldn't be just eat dessert. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, I mean, I will say I've been using this for years and years and maybe that's happened like once or twice ever. Um, but, but the thing is your child actually then begins to think, Oh, I'm hungry. I want dinner. I don't, I don't have this fixation on dessert. Right. And I think that's like, at least for me, that was like a big takeaway from your approach to feeding kids is just to put it all out there and not make a big deal of it. And in either direction, don't make a big deal about, oh my gosh, look what's on your plate, dessert, or hey, nudge, nudge, here's that broccoli. It's just like being chill and laid back about it. And I think that parents are shocked about all of that. But I think especially like serving them dessert with their dinner, I think that they think that it's just going to create a bigger issue. But you, mm -hmm. so you're saying basically that it has the opposite effect of what you would assume. Yeah, generally. Now you could be the family who says I do dessert every night with dinner. Mm -hmm. That personally for me is way too much work. Um, I'm just, that's, that's not part of, yeah. <laughs> that's not part of my time schedule. But, um, but yeah, we often will, you know, maybe a couple times a week, maybe once a week, maybe three times a week. It really depends on the time of year, really. Uh, you know, we have some cookies, maybe there's a cookie on their plate, maybe there's a little, you know, muffin cup with a couple tablespoons of ice cream. It doesn't have to be that big of a deal, but when it's there kind of semi-frequently, then it's just, you know, that's ice cream. It doesn't mean my kids don't cheer for ice cream totally. sometimes because I mean, you know, ice cream is delicious and it does, you know, it's a different experience than eating broccoli, right? Um, but, and of course, now that they're older, plenty of other people have helped put it on a pedestal and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think giving kids the opportunity to just see it as part of the meal, giving kids the opportunity now and then to have as much as they want, if that's within your capacity, gives kids a lot of experience with foods in different situations. Yeah, I can have a lot of ice cream or yeah, you know, when I go to a birthday party, everybody gets one piece of cake or you know, these sorts of things where you're giving them lots of exposures to foods in different ways. And we can still be working toward that. We're not, we're not calling out foods as better than others. We're just yeah. letting foods be what they are in different contexts. So that made me think about, you know, like the external pressures and the external influences, even from friends to grandparents and other relatives. How do we talk about that? You know, like, uh, you know, if my parents would be like kind of bribing my son or doing the opposite of what I feel like. I'm like, don't undo all of my hard work. How do you talk to your kids within your family and kind of explain to them how things should be versus how they're feeling pressure from other people? Sure. I think this is really complicated, especially by family. And I always like to make this disclaimer. 
I don't know what your family culture is. I don't know if there's respect between the family members. Mm. I don't know, you know, there are some cultures where you would never ever provide recommendations to your parents, in which case your situation is going to, you know, you're going to have to work out this a little bit differently. Um, you may have a parent who doesn't have any capacity or who doesn't care or right. who doesn't want to cooperate or wants to wants to undo what you're doing. So I don't know your situation and and that's why I don't often make quote recommendations for families um, because I don't know the situation. But what I will say is this, we are, we do have to think about what are the hills that we're willing to die on? If, if my parents are, let's say, not feeding my child, let's just take a really extreme example. My parents are not feeding my child when they're babysitting. I'm going to have to find a different babysitter mm. because they're not taking care of my child. Are they feeding my child something that's not appropriate? Are they giving my child coffee? Uh, now, some cultures do coffee for kids, um, but mine doesn't. Uh, and I would consider that inappropriate. Are they feeding my child alcohol? Like illegal, right? What is happening? There are there are going to be these situations where you say, okay, that was inappropriate. You can't watch my child anymore. Um, I know of some people whose parents continue to feed their very young infants really intense choking hazards. Mm. And at that point, they felt that it was not safe. So I think there's this element of stepping back and saying, what is the big picture? Is my child safe? If they are not safe, I'm going to have to see what I can do to make to give them a safe environment, if that is at all possible, right? Then there's other this other gray area where you know, grandparents like to spoil kids yep. or they like to pressure kids or they like to only feed the kids ice cream all day long. And for my parents, I was, and we, we live pretty far away. So we only see them once or twice a year. Um, and so I basically just said, look, can you, you try to keep it to like one dessert a day. <laughs> and I would say, you know, that's, that's, you know, they, they observe that most of the time. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not something, it, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. It's not in the big picture in my mind. I want to make sure my kids have a good relationship with their grandparents. Not that I am freaking out about all these little things. Now there might be sometimes, and there have been times where I have stepped in and I've said, we don't bribe our kids with dessert. Mm -hmm. And I just stepped in right there and I said it there. And that was uncomfortable for me. Um, it's not something that I normally do like come from my parents, uh, very strong, but I said, we don't do this. And I just kind of laid down the law. <laughs> and sometimes we do have to do that because our kids can't always advocate for themselves. Like, Hey, I'm full and you're forcing me to eat. That's not something that I want my child experiencing. Right. And it's really showing that my parents are not respecting my child. Um, and so that might be a time where I say, you know, I'm not okay with that. Uh, but again, every family is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different and really kind of filtering what you're doing through the lens of how do I keep my child safe? How do I keep the big picture in mind? And how do I also try to maintain relationships if 
that is something that can be maintained in the context of safety for my child and um, the bigger picture. I think that is such good advice. I think that really kind of hits so many points for people and just overall, just taking a step back and looking at the big picture and the relationships you have. I think that it kind of takes the pressure off for everybody. So I think that's really good. Um, thank you for that. That was like a really comprehensive look at, at that. I think that's a really big piece of it for a lot of people. Um, I really want to talk about your better bites program. Um, kids eat in color is so much more than just an Instagram page. You have so many programs and products, uh, that really help people. And I am someone that they really helped. Um, I signed up for your program, better bites in January. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about it. And then I'm, I would love to talk about my experience doing it. Yeah, I'd love to hear it too. So Better Bites is our comprehensive um, evidence-based course for the parents of picky eaters. And our goal is even if you have an extreme picky eater who is only eating five foods, we can help you get your child on the road to eating more foods and maybe even more importantly, reduce your stress as quickly as possible. Yeah. That is that is the long and short of it. And we do a really deep dive, as you know, where we kind of look at everything. We poke into all those different areas of understanding picky eating, understanding parenting around the table, um, crafting your home environment so that you can actually, so your child can learn to eat more foods and then helping your child get involved with food and be more comfortable around food and then eventually try more foods. Yeah. And it really does all of that. I mean, I, I was honestly unsure if this program was going to work for my son. Not that I didn't believe in the program, but I, I guess I was kind of doubting my son, which was eye opening in itself. You know, I should have had the confidence in myself as his mom and as my and in my son, just to, you know, to be able to do this, this is just eating, you know, when it comes down to it, but there was so much more to it. And you, you, so how the program works is you sign up, you get all of these tools and, and packets of so much information, so many helpful activities and things and recipes and, um, just a guide to help you through the whole process. And the biggest part for me were these modules. So it's videos with Jennifer, uh, explaining things and making you look at things and, and even journaling through it. And you're like, ah, I don't know if I have the time for this, but it's like five minute videos <laughs> and just really to the point messages that really make you think like, wow, I also was a really picky eater as a kid. And I actually, it was about fear for me and I had a really hard time. So just taking a step back and looking at it from that just also makes you look at your kid a little, little differently and, and what would have helped you. And, um, Basically, my backstory is that um, I signed up in Jan I signed up in January for Better Bites. Um, I was pregnant. Um, I was due in May, so I was like, okay, I have a few months to get ahead of this and fix the situation in my house because I realized that, especially during the pandemic, my son, who was almost four at the time, he was just dropping more and more foods. It was like maybe the repetition of you know just being home with your kids all the time during the pandemic, cooking the same things and not being able to get a lot of the foods that we used to get. I think I just got into like a, a slump. And um, maybe this is just how his anxiety around it all kind of manifested. But regardless, he wasn't eating a, a wide variety of foods for a while. And um, I was doing 
the number one thing that you actually shouldn't do. I was making a separate dinner for him every night and it was exhausting. I was like, I can't keep doing this. So I was really determined to stop this before the baby was born. And I just desperately wanted dinner time to be easy. I just didn't want to be like, okay, I'm going to make this for us. And then I'm going to make this separate thing for him. And I just, I just wanted him to eat a bit of variety. There was so much wrapped up in it for me. And I honestly wasn't sure what the method could do that I didn't already know. And I honestly could not have been more naive in, in that sense because Jennifer's approach is so innovative and honestly just it was the opposite of what I was doing. And it really worked. And I would love to hear, Jennifer, from you, why you think Better Bites works and you know what parents can really take away from it. Yeah, so I think one of the things about Better Bites is it really takes you from where you're starting, which is, I don't understand why my kid is picky. Mm -hmm. And when we start there and then we start getting kids involved in food and we do those things together, then suddenly you begin to have just your perspective opened up and you begin to have the bigger picture. When you have a bigger picture, then you can start to make changes because you can you have some context, right? You know where you're going and you know where you are. And I think a lot of parents are coming into picky eating, feeling like a failure, feeling defeated, exhausted, all these things that you mentioned. And they also are confused about their kid and they don't know what they're supposed to do, nor do they understand how they got here. And I've certainly had situations like this in my own life in different places with my kids where you're just thinking as a parent, what am I supposed to do? I don't yeah. understand what's going on, but I don't want to keep living like this. And, and then the other thing is the first thing I work on really is reducing your stress as a parent, because if you have a little less stress in your life, you're going to have a little more capacity to make some changes in your environment to stop enabling that picky eating, or you're going to have a little bit of extra capacity to do an activity that might help your child really overcome a fear or help them have a positive experience with a new food or something like that. And all these little changes, like you're, you know, maybe your stress level goes down one point out of a hundred, but that little one point suddenly goes toward your child. And then they get one point of a positive thing. And then you're, and then that makes your stress go down another point, right? And then you put that towards your child. And so I think this, this, um, focus on reducing your stress as a parent, simultaneously increasing your child's capacity of, to have positive interactions with foods really is what makes the magic happen um, over time, right? And, and it is a process. It's not like this magic pill right. sort of program because picky eating actually can be really complicated for a lot of families. Yeah. And I found so much comfort. Part of the program is your um, allowed into this Facebook group and just talking with other parents about what they're going through. And you're like, Oh my God, it's not just me. My son is not the only one who's overwhelmed by peanut butter on his fingers or hates chewing meat and things like that. And they, right. they, they have so much, I don't know what it is about this community. They have so much compassion and empathy for each other. And we're really just there to help each other out. And I'm not really like a group mentality person. Like I'm not, I'm kind of shy when it comes to things like that, but I felt comfortable sharing my struggles because these people were so supportive 
and they really understood what I was going through and just sharing activities that you can do with your kids that don't take much time and the little wins you like you said just that that one tiny little win can really just get you through the week and you're like okay right he's not eating meat yet but we got over the hump with quinoa you know what I mean right right or there's this there's this thing where you know sometimes you go into the Facebook group and someone will be will say I didn't have any wins this week. I have no wins and they're feeling so defeated. And someone else will say, you know what? We didn't have any wins for two weeks. And now we just had this explosive, you know, burst of trying new foods or, um, you know, a parent will come in and say, Oh, I feel like he's been going backwards for a whole month. Mm -hmm. And some, another parent will jump in and say, yes, that happened to us too. We stuck with it. And now my child is expanding what they're eating every week. And I think that's so important because picky eating is really complicated and you're dealing with, you're dealing with parents, like we're real people and then you're dealing with your child, real, real person. And so, you know, you can't always predict what this progress is going to look like and how it's going to go backwards and forwards, but having that community there. And I, I agree, we do not allow judgment. Kids in color is based on non-judgment. That is that is the core of what I bring to Instagram in this conversation. And it is absolutely the core that we insist on in the Better Bites group. We monitor for judgmental comments. Now we do allow for kind of like, you know, some back and forth and people to, uh, you know, go back and forth on things, which sometimes Mm -hmm. involves, you know, differences of opinions and that sort of thing. But as soon as we see a a person jumping in and and saying, um, you know, oh, you, you have to do it like this, or you didn't do a good job or whatever, you know, we're in there to be like, Hey, you can't, you can't say that. But I will say we've done, we've, you know, deleted, I don't know, maybe like five comments in two years. I never see it. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't, you don't see it. I think parents really feel that sense of, I got to be there for another parent because this is really hard. Totally. Yeah. And in my personal life, I was sort of surrounded by moms who didn't have this issue or at least weren't admitting to having this issue. So I was just like, okay, I guess I messed up. And that was, it was hard. I I know that that's like not really how I should see it, (laughs) but that was hard. It was the hardest first. Yeah. And it was the hardest first step for me to be like, you know what? Like I can't just sit here and be like, oh, I messed up and just not do anything about it. I need to be proactive about it. And it honestly, I am not just saying this to you. I say this to everyone in my life. It was the best thing I could have done for my entire parenting. Just my approach to parenting. Like I found that the best side effect of doing better bites is that I started to kind of instinctively apply this low pressure approach to all of my parenting. And it stopped so many of the power struggles with my son. And I, I, I credit Better Bites. I know it sounds really, it sounds like a cheesy, like infomercial testimonial, but I swear to you, like that is at its core, what it's done for my life and for my son. And it, it has just had this domino effect. And I think that's, that's definitely the best part. That's wonderful. And I think you've all obviously clearly put in the time and the effort into the program as well. Uh, but what we find, you know, even parents will often say, I didn't do the program a hundred percent. Or I, I didn't watch all of the modules or I didn't, I, I didn't, wasn't as consistent as I would have liked, but still, yes, 
there's so much less stress in my house. Still, my child is trying new foods. Still, yes, other things. totally. So we like to put all the resources out there for you. And it's by far the most comprehensive picky eating program there is. I, I mean, obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> so I, I feel like I always have to say that. But also, I mean, I made it to be that, right? It's like people aren't getting the resources they need. They may go to food therapy even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and they don't see any progress because, and my theory is, and you know, we have a couple occupational therapists on our team now, um, and they've kind of um, talked about this as well, but sometimes, you know, the food therapy an hour a week is really focused on the child and doing a food activity, but then they don't have this huge support at home. Mm. They don't know what the day in day out looks like at home. And you have all the rest of the hours of the week to be at home doing things or, you know, in the home environment or whatever your day-to-day -day looks like, but you're not trained. Parents aren't given the tools they need to actually implement best practices at home to the best of their ability. They're really just, you know, maybe getting a little bit of homework from food therapy. And you know, some kids do great in food therapy, um, but a lot of kids don't. And yeah. so we're really stepping in to say, you know, if, if you took that picky eating course, that you know by those other people and it didn't solve your problems i'm not surprised because there's not usually a lot of tools to go along with these um and then and then there's all those so this piece of you know here's how to do it here's how to begin to implement these things in your home and here's how to make a plan long term you know yeah i and that's exactly it i mean it really it just kind of hits all points of feeding your kids from your, like you said, your stress level around it and your approach to how you're dealing with your kids and in the day to day, like how you're just like incorporating it all into your actual life, not just in one session. I, I thankfully didn't have to go that route, but I, I can imagine that it's not, you can't apply it as easily as this stuff. And I think that parents are really afraid that maybe they're just going to jump right to serving their kids food and, and it's, it's just going to work overnight. And if it doesn't work overnight, their kids are going to starve. And so they go back to, I, I felt this. I didn't, thankfully I haven't really given in too much. I mean, it's happened, but you just kind of go back to oh, whatever. I'll just serve. He won't eat this. I'm just going to give him something else. So, I mean, how should parents approach that? Like, Oh my kids, I can't send my kid to bed hungry. Well, you know, we talk about this in the program and we talk about different ways to do it. Um, on the one hand, we, I always like to be really clear. We never, ever, ever use food as a reward or a punishment, mm -hmm. uh, especially a punishment. Um, because other people will certainly use food as a reward for your child. And that's just kind of one of the realities of life, but a punishment, no. So I, I think a lot of us have this really visceral reaction of, oh my gosh, you, uh, I, I will quote, go send my child to bed hungry, right? That is a phrase that <laughs> reminds us of all the, this history of parents who sent their child to bed hungry as a punishment. Yeah. That is never something we would do ever. Now, at the same time, I like to remind parents that it is your job, your child's job to decide whether or not to eat. If they want to go to bed hungry, that's okay. That's actually, that's fine. But what I think sometimes we have this really strong fear of like, if my child experiences any hunger, that is a bad thing. Mm 
But as our psychologist on our team says, hunger is a sensation. It's, it's, you know, now we're, we're not talking about like chronic hunger or, you know, starving a child or, you know, not feeding a child sufficiently. But, you know, for a kid who's getting three meals a day and likely one to three snacks a day, in addition to those three meals, hunger isn't really playing a role here. It's a sensation that says, oh, you know, I'm going to need to eat. But if your child is saying, I'm not hungry, then that's okay. That, you know, like at dinner, kids are going to eat the least amount of food. They're going to be the most picky, all these things because they're tired and they've eaten the whole day mm -hmm. and all these other things they, they want to go to bed. And so if your child decides to only eat three bites or to not eat dinner, it's okay to let them then go to bed. I think the challenge comes is when you make a dinner and you've served a food that at least one food that they feel comfortable with and they were allowed to eat it. And then they say, you know, I'm not, I'm not eating this. Well, then you could say, okay, that's our last meal of the day, unless your family serves a bedtime snack. Um, we actually do because my child wakes up in the middle of the night. Uh, so bedtime snack is essential for us, uh, but that's built into our routine. So if you have a bedtime snack, fine, you know, okay, you don't have to eat now. If you're hungry for bedtime snack, you can have that. Or if dinner is the last meal of the day in your house, you can say, okay, this is the last meal of the day and the next meal will be breakfast. And I think um, parents get really nervous, like, oh my gosh, what if my kid says right as they're getting into bed, I'm hungry, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's actually okay to say, well, now is not the time for eating, but we're gonna have a big breakfast. And often that feels scary, but usually it works out just fine, you know, and maybe the child cries or maybe they, um, you know, maybe there's, there's something else where they say, you're, I, I don't know, you kids will say <laughs> yes. all kinds of things, but, um, you could just be like, you know, dinner is in literally like nine hours, right? <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it is. My kids have never been long sleepers. Um, so, so there's that. And I think, I think there is this learning and the body learning, okay, now is the time to eat. Now is not the time to eat. Now there's some parents who maybe they've gone through food trauma or maybe they've had experiences of true hunger and um, their policy is my child will never be hungry. Hmm. And based on my experience, I cannot tolerate the discomfort of seeing my child hungry. That's okay. We can meet you there. Right. Um, and you know, maybe in your house you have a set of foods. So like if my child says they're hungry, vegetables are always available or fruit is always available or, you know, whatever it looks like in your house. And, and I also always have to add the caveat. Um, if you do have a child who's ever had food trauma or true hunger or something like that, uh, the, the rules are the, like the whole game is a little bit different and you want to make sure they have 24 seven access to food I... for a child who is not, it's okay for them to have some experiences of hunger in the context of regular feeding every couple hours, you know? Yeah. And I really love that you, you tackle this whole subject and work with families, you know, with the knowledge of like everyone's situation is different and knowing that there's a wide range of diversity in what, you know, hunger can even look like. And I think that really comes through in your work. And that's one of my favorite parts of how you approach this whole topic. And I've followed you when you've talked about WIC and when you've talked about, you know, the way that this country sort of sets up people to not really have access to healthy food. I've learned so much 
from your account about those topics. And I really like that you have given back with tangible methods and tools to help people overcome those those roadblocks. So um, I would love to talk about one of your cookbooks, well, actually both of your cook, cookbooks, but starting with Affordable Flavors, because I think that that has been so transformative for so many people. Yeah, Affordable Flavors was really a passion project. Um, I began my career working at a food bank coordinating their youth nutrition programs. And that is what got me interested in nutrition. That's why I went back to, to graduate school and became a dietitian. And, you know, it's really difficult to feed your family of four on a budget of $500 or less per month. Um, but we picked the, the number 500 because that's the average amount of food stamps that are, you know, it's called SNAP now, uh, that a family would receive. And, um, it's not much, it's, it's not a big budget. It's not a lot to work with and you have to be thoughtful and mindful. And there's a lot of resources out there created by white dietitians like myself that, um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of families don't resonate with the kind of foods that I make because, uh, that's not their food culture. So we actually brought together a diverse team of dietitians to create recipes that were all put together into this complex puzzle how do you feed a family of four for under $500 a month? And, um, and, and that's what we did. And to date, that was the most complicated project I've ever worked on because it is hard. It is hard to have really strong, wonderful flavors in dishes that taste good, that don't feel like cheap recipes. They feel Mm -hmm. like good, delicious recipes. And, and also fit together in this budget. And then we also provide those shopping lists and the WIC, uh, we call it the WIC foods to help families who receive that use their benefits. And we just make it easier for families to, um, to do, to make, you know, just feed their families with a little less stress. We had one family who said, you know, due to the pandemic, one of the parents lost their job the other fa- parent had been at home with the child. They lost their house. They had to move in with their parents. And she was, for the first time in her life, actually worried about whether they were going to have enough money to feed their family for the month. And she said after using Affordable Flavors for even just the first week, she knew exactly how she was going to feed her family for the month. And at the end of the week, they had had three meals, two snacks a day, and there were leftovers. And she just said it took me from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of comfort that yes, I know how we're going to eat for the rest of the month. That is so amazing and must feel so rewarding because it hasn't, it's not just something that's been a reality for so many families for so many years, but now during the pandemic, I think people went from never having to think about this, never thinking they'd have to think about this to that being their reality. And I, and one of my favorite parts of this cookbook is how you set up the pricing. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about that in case somebody is in that situation and they're like, I would love to buy this, but how much is it? You know, can I afford it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for us making sure it's affordable for absolutely everybody is essential. I mean, that's the whole point of it. Right. So if you, if you cannot afford it, you can apply for a free one and we don't turn people down. Um, you know, unless they're clearly like, just making, yeah. <laughs> making something up. Um, 
but you know, most people are totally honest with this sort of thing. So, you know, if you need a free copy, it is available for you. The, um, you know, if times are tight, but you have a little bit of a budget, you can buy it for $9.99. If the, you know, the actual value of it, what we call the standard price is $27.99. And then there are a lot of families who want to support another family. They want to make it free for another family. They want to make it subsidized. And so we do give the option of kind of buy one, give one, and that's $36.99. So basically we, um, we really wanted this to have more of a community feel so that you can um, both support another family or you can get it and use it yourself. And, and it's been amazing. There's such an outpouring of people both giving and people receiving and uh, using it. We're, we've, um, we're almost ready to write the paper uh, showing the results of the study that we did of people who, have been, who used it. And the results of that have been really amazing. Um, and I can't actually discuss them right now because they're not out for publication, but the results have been good so far. And, and also, you know, people have donated to this project as well. And so we've given away thousands and thousands of copies, especially through community organizations, um, you know, whether they're community food banks or community, um, you know, food pantries, uh, housing groups, all sorts of organizations help. And then, and then also, you know, corporate organizations and, and insurance companies and healthcare systems and things like that. Oh my so God. it's amazing how it's really getting out to the community, not just through Instagram, but also through community organizations. Yeah, I think, and I think it's a big testament to the community that you have built within like the people you work with, as well as the people that follow you and, purchase these things and the amount of people who want to help another family. I think it's just, it's kind of a breath of fresh air from the, the bad news we get every day. So that's, mm -hmm. that's really so great. And aside from being affordable and teaching you how to shop just differently and cook differently, um, you're, you have a big focus on like meal prepping and planning, which is something that I really struggled with. I think because I had like a fear that my son wasn't going to eat what I made that night, but my sister is like the most impressive meal planner ever. So between her inspiring me and I purchased Real Easy Weekdays, your other cookbook that I'm obsessed with, um, I finally started to get in a groove and it really has taken a lot of the stress out of, you know, cooking and, and thinking about what you're going to serve. And I, what, what was the inspiration to that? Because I know that has a pretty cool oh, story was, too. I, I made it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> I really made it for myself. I, I, um, you know, at, at that time I had, I still had a full-time job and my, my child was, my first one was just going into first grade where I was going to have to send two snacks and a lunch every day. And, um, I, I knew I was trying to quit my full-time job so that I could do kids in color full-time. And, um, I, I just thought, how, how am I supposed, <laughs> how am I supposed to do all this? I can't, I'm not going to have any ounce of energy to, um, to, I, I don't know. I just, it felt impossible. Mm -hmm. And so I really kind of went back to my, my dietitian roots. Like what, what could I do to make cooking easier for myself? Well, I could put this together, this meal plan and I know what it's going to, how it's going to work and kind of like, how can I do the minimum, but still feel really good about what I'm doing. And, um, 
And then as I was putting the spreadsheet together, I thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder if my audience would, this would be helpful for them. And, um, and I thought, oh, I also thought, well, if it is, maybe this would actually make it so I could quit my job because yeah. at that point, you know, there wasn't really any income coming in. I was the main income earner for our family. <laughs> so I was like, not gonna be able to quit my job unless I can support my family. Um, so, so I asked, I asked on Instagram, like, does this sound interesting to you? And so many people said yes. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do it for me. I'm going to do it for all the other parents out there. And it's been a wild success. Um, you know, parents, it's so helpful and I still use it. I mean, that's how, that's how I feed my family. <laughs> you really, it's like, it's like you put the mental load of specifically what typically falls on moms. I know that a lot of dads cook in families, but I think moms really carry a much bigger mental load in general. It's like you took at least my mental load and put it down on paper and <laughs> you did all the heavy lifting for me so I can just like do it. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like once you get the framework, then you understand, okay, like yes. I didn't like this recipe because that didn't work for my family, but I can just plug in our favorite recipe and yes. it's still, the system still works. You know what? It was amazing. Um, and I, I certainly didn't even have this in mind when I made it, obviously the pandemic, but the pandemic started and like, I just was having a really hard time mm -hmm. as many people. Um, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't even use, I couldn't even cook anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel and that. My husband he had always said he wanted to cook a little bit more, but he didn't have time yeah. because of our schedules. And so there was one day I was crying mm. and he picked up Real Easy Weekdays, which he had bought a couple, <laughs> like a month earlier. I did, I just saw, like all of a sudden I saw this transaction come through and I was like, oh, Paul Anderson, wow. <laughs> I know and him. I realized it's my husband, <laughs> like he bought it. He wanted the full experience. And I mean, it's, Aww. you know, we share money, but um, that's really sweet. He, he had bought it and he printed it out and he picked it up. And for the first time ever, since we'd had kids, he did a full meal plan. He did a shopping list. He went shopping and started making dinner with no input from me, none, zero. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've literally made the best product on the planet. <laughs> oh, it is that awesome. It is that I feel like it's foolproof. You really can't mess it up. That's awesome. Yeah. It did take him longer. Of course. Because he didn't have very much experience. But I mean I didn't have to get involved. It was like it was magical. Yeah, it's it is part of like that mental load, like even to accept help from our spouses sometimes. Yeah. Um right. it requires us to help and explain and guide and to not have to do that is huge. Cause it's an actual help then. Right. Right. So if parents could take away one lesson from your methods and your approach and all of your posts, what, what would you hope that that would be? You know, if they took away one message, I would want it to be this. And that is the best is not like, or let's, let's put it this way. My best is the best for my family. There's a lot of messages out there and a lot of information. And it's so easy to think, I can't do the best, I can't do the best. But the reality is your best is actually the best for your family right now. And it is, and it's good. I love that. I really love that. 
I think that that pretty much nails it for your for your whole approach to all of this. Yeah, I think it, there's just there's just such a need for just accepting our reality. Yeah, as the best that it can be. And I, I heard once, you know, it's a little cheesy, it's a little out there, but if, if you really think about it, it does kind of make sense. Like you are the best parent for your child. Like you were, however you think that you were chosen to be your child's parent, you were the one that's going to know how to do the best for your child. And just hearing that one day, I was like, yeah, because I kind of have like control freak tendencies and that's what made, you know, this whole picky eating so difficult. Um, but because of that, I, and my son is the same way. I can kind of understand him better. So give yourself that credit that you really are the best parent that your child could have. Yeah, so true. Well, this was so wonderful. This was so eye opening, even for me, who I feel like I knew everything about your programs. And this was just, I hope it really helps other families um, get a handle on this stuff. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was oh my gosh. such a great conversation. Thank you so much, Jennifer. So please plug all of your resources and everywhere that people can find you. Shout it out right now. Yeah, I mean, type in Kizzy and Color and you'll find us. Yes. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the website. We're there wherever parents are. And, um, you know, we just have amazing free resources on our website and obviously on Instagram too. Yes, that's kids.eat.in.color, and her name is Jennifer Anderson, and I cannot recommend her programs and cookbooks and products enough. So thank you so much, Jennifer. This has been so awesome, and I will be following everything you do. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. For thank all your you. Words. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and you can follow not like a regular mom podcast on Instagram or email me at not like a regular mom podcast at gmail.com with any feedback or questions or requests or suggestions. And I will be back next week.